From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's the show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. In each episode, our special guest or guests bring with them a movie that traumatized them as a child or television show. <laughs> this week, our guests are Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead. They burst on the scene in 2013 with their festival hit Resolution, and since then have become known for writing and directing challenging but really smart genre films. They also produce challenging genre films like last year's She Dies Tomorrow, which was one of our top movies of the year. And their latest film, Chronic, is currently available on VOD and is coming to Blu-ray very soon. Welcome to the show, guys. This is so exciting. It is. Thank you for having us. We're we're, we're quarantined together, and this will probably be the funnest thing we do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it, it's it's so weird because before we get into the interview, we just kind of wanted to say congratulations because the news just broke two days before we're recording that you guys are going to be directing some episodes for Marvel. <laughs> it's cool. It's like amazing. Casual, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. Have they already sent the sharpshooters out to like, police for spoilers yes 
<laughs> I figured. Actually, I don't know if you're recording video, but there's there's two red dots on our. I <laughs> I kind of wondered because like I, I I know how how tight lipped they are, but but anyway, congratulations! That's amazing. We can't wait for yeah. the world to see what genre fans already know. But before we kind of dive into the now, let's let's take it back. How did both of you get into horror or genre? Oh man, you're gonna get a really you're gonna get really fresh answers out of us because like. <laughs> Do you want to go first? Um, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. I, I know that my love for, I, I would say almost exclusively horror sci-fi. I mean, I have, a I, sorry, where this comes from. I have a love for specifically horror, specifically sci-fi and the combination of the two. But, um, but my dad loves and loved horror sci-fi. And, okay. um, and um. so that would be, he would feed me a stream of books and, uh, and a lot of TV with that, um, you know, it was a pretty, what would you say? How would you describe my, my household? Kind of leave it to beavery kind of household. So like, like I wasn't given alien when I was nine years old. Was, you know what I mean? Like Jurassic Park. Oh, sorry. I'm a kid of the nineties. I, I, I was born in 87. So just so you know, kind of like what was being given to me. And, um, and so like Jurassic Park, when it came out, like that was like way too scary for me. It was like years later that I wasn't allowed to, but we watched like, every single like every single sci-fi and horror show that came on tv to the point that i didn't even recognize a difference between the genres like i i didn't know that stephen king was a horror writer he was just the guy that i read all the time i didn't know that that, i I wouldn't like it actually was almost 15 years later that that somebody called him a horror writer and was like oh i kind of thought he had his own genre in a way stephen king books you know um, I didn't even know that I was reading horror books growing up nonstop. I was just reading Stephen King books, uh, Dean Koontz and, uh, and that kind of stuff. Um, but it was, you know, every night, but especially every Friday night, it was w- whatever, like one season version of a TV show, like Millennium or oh, yeah. you know, s- Space, what, whatever, whatever kind of thing that was on that night. Um, and then, you know, religiously, The X-Files, of course, uh, as with probably everyone listening to this. Um, and outer, outer limits, the new one and twilight okay, Zone, yeah. the old one, um, specifically, cause there were, there was a, there's an original outer limits that for whatever reason we turned our nose up to, but the remake was good. And the original twilight zone was the, 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 the glory, but the remake of twilight zone before just when I got to direct the remake of the twilight, the yeah. third of the twilight zone, maybe fourth, um, then, um, so yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a steady stream of sci-fi work. Cool. What was your favorite Stephen King book growing up? Um, luckily, my parents did let me read the entire Dark Tower series um, oh. where I was old enough to process things like sexuality and gore and stuff. Um, and, uh, and so I was reading that actually pretty much as it came out. Um, not as it came out. I mean, it, sorry, obviously, but <laughs> before I was born is when I started writing. Um, but there was that large gap of time between... Um, uh, uh, Wizarding Glass and Wolves of the Cala. But yeah. between then, he got to find the van and, and his whole life. And oh, yeah. Style change. And um, so uh, I would say Wizarding Glass was that. Um, although, man, cool. Needful Things was a pretty big one for me, too. Needful Things is so good. I keep wanting someone to take that and do like a another adaptation of it, like the way they've been doing The Outsider and stuff. I just I yeah. really want to see that come to life because that, that is one of my favorites of his books, too. You know, uh, and, and I'm sorry, Justin, I'm, I'm kind of taking it for a bit here, but the uh, 
You know, there's also one thing that I would like, I would definitely be interested in approaching uh, uh, an adaptation of, but it's actually Dean Kuntz's book, um, which is called Watchers. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's got a serial killer in it that, that genuinely gets kind of like supercharged by his kills. Like he steals their life energy, but it's, but it might be in his head and it might be real. He just kind of like gets this kind of vitality out of it. But most importantly, it has a talking dog. Uh, or a super smart dog, um, a super smart dog. It does not talk. Um, and and also an abomination, I believe, called the Outsider, if I remember that correctly, uh, that came from the same lab as the super smart dog. And I just absolutely love that story. And I've read that book probably five times. So I kind of remember that one a little bit. Um, I, I was a big Dean Kuhn, Stephen King fan. and was like tearing through all of his books. And I think I have seen that. I think I've read that one. Yeah. I have no idea if it's, if, if it, like holds up, I guess I should say. I mean, I read it, I read it five times between the age of probably eight and 15. So the cover is just some woods and um, a golden retriever. So <laughs> yes, I 100% will read this book. <laughs> what about you, Justin? What, um, what was your introduction to, to genre films? It's kind of a, 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 in my memory, it's this muddy convergence of like several different things. Uh, one of them is, is that, my parents, my mother and father, they had a child when they were very young. Uh, uh, my, my older brother, who's, uh, I think he's about 11 years older than I am. And uh, it was the 60s, and she went away to a home for unwed mothers, had to go for adoption, uh, no contact. But he contacted us when he was 18 years old, when I was seven. And he and he came to our house and 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 met with us. And, and, I, and I remember that they they really hit it off. Like, and, and he's like, I want to go to college in San Diego where we lived, you know, can I come stay with you guys? So all of a sudden I had my actual full 100% blood brother living wow. with us, 18, but I never met him before. And he came with a whole bunch of Stephen King books. <laughs> so, so Stephen King again, and I would just like read all those Stephen King books and he would rent horror movies for us to watch. Remember he rented evil dead Two. And I didn't understand at seven years old that that was like more of like an action adventure comedy. When you're like seven, that shit's terrifying. Yeah, it's terrifying. <laughs> but then you yes. watch it as an adult, and you're like, this is like one of the funniest things I've ever seen in the best way. It's like it's like one of those. It's great cinema, but it is also just like this is hilarious. Um, this is Three Stooges, but um, <laughs> so there was that, and then there there was I had a next door neighbor who was like. It was like, have you ever heard of like Nightmare on Elm Street? I'm like, no. And he's like, oh, oh my God, I got to tell you about it. And he's talking about Freddy Krueger and how it works. And he's like, you got to see part three, the Dream Warriors. Like, and like, and I, and, I, and he's like, you got to go to set. It was like at 7 Eleven to rent. So I like go up the street and rent Nightmare on Elm Street part three and got like way into it. When you're a kid, that movie, you get so, not, not that an adult can't, but when you're a child, you're just like way into it. You're going to get together with your friends and be a wizard and beat yeah. up. Like it's like super fun. My, in my head, by the way, this kid that you're talking to is wearing like a leather jacket and smoking like clove cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, kid. He's got like a toothpick, you know. Yeah. On, <laughs> like a, a gold tooth, maybe. Just like, hey. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then, and then I remember after that, I think it was like my late teen years. Um, I read in like Entertainment Weekly that one of the scariest movies of all time is this movie called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh. Like, wasn't as 
I don't know. It, it's one of those things where it's like, you don't necessarily like just catch that on syndication, mm-hmm. you know, you know, whatever. So I like, I was like 17 years old. I sought it out or, or I ordered the DVD online or whatever. And I remember like seeing that and thinking like, oh, like creating something like that would be um, sort of gratifying. And, and also like when you watch it, you're like, I can kind of see how one could do that versus other movies that frighten you. It's like, it's yeah. not like tech, hugely technically challenging. It's an amazing piece of cinema, but you can look at it and be like, oh, maybe there's a possibility I could do it. Oh, the only other thing I can think of is before I met my brother, um, USA Network, every night or not every night like friday Saturday nights at midnight they'd have elvira mistress of the dark hosting like like double oh. features of like like the movies that do go into syndication or not syndic- i don't know what you call it but the movies that do end up on tv very quickly like friday the 13th part five uh with um the toxic adventure after that so like, i remember that stuff but not being like inspired i just have like a nostalgia for that and anytime i see like the image of elvira I think about being like six years old and laying in bed watching her host from the USA network. Yeah. I don't know. I, I actually just remembered I because I I there's this weird compartmentalization that I've had of uh as I was trying to describe it, I'm not doing very well with my words, but like there was this there were these these things that are clearly horror that were not in my head horror. They were just their own genre. Like Jurassic Park, that's or or, or Jaws, like creature movies, straight up like creature features. But because it was like a big budget movie by Spielberg, it was like this other thing in my head. And uh, and I do remember I had a cousin um, who's uh, or have have a cousin. Oh my gosh, uh, my, my cousin Adam, and uh, he lived in Tallahassee. And so when we'd go and visit in Tallahassee, me and him and uh, and his sister would just get into so much trouble, and uh, and we rent. Um, he he was a little bit older and but you know when you're when you're nine a 12 year old is like 35 years oh, old yeah. i was like a wise a wise, wise with a big giant like, beard on the mountain in the same way that you're he's just like have you ever heard of nightmare and like we got i got that for uh dead alive like these very transgressive oh kind wow of, yeah isn't that where someone like wow. takes lawnmower and paints oh yeah lawnmower head? over the over all the zombies at the end and the yeah. mom eats the dog yeah got that for evil dead um, and then there was one more that it's just on the tip of my tongue, but I'm not going to remember it. But, but yeah, I do remember like I had a transgressive cousin. <laughs> he was like, he was my cool introduction <laughs> to, uh, to that. Um, so thank you, Adam. I appreciate you very much. Yeah. Well, what I've, what I've kind of picked out from, from, from what you guys are talking about, it almost seems like this might be kind of where, because you're, you're one of the things that I appreciate about your movies is that they don't tend to just stick to one genre they sort of like are are playful with other with different genre conventions and the movies you're talking about do the same thing um so i'm just curious is that do you you think that might your childhood might have like infected how you how you view genre as an adult that's a good question i i know that i mean one way to think about it is like when you there's a lot of beats in for example resolution where it's like you understand why we're not doing certain things if mm-hmm. you've seen something else like uh, like a good example would be like this is very basic and this, there was never a version of the movie where it was like about demons specifically but there's it's hard to watch resolution if you've seen evil dead and not see like mm-hmm. what uh not, not realize that you're being given the expectation that that's going to happen yeah. that thing from this other movie you know mm-hmm. i think there's a lot of things in resolution like that 
Spring, it's even more conspicuous. Spring is just like, oh yeah, it seems like it's going to be a vampire movie or a werewolf movie or um, that's it. That's it. That's all it was. Wait, no, there's other. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, uh, I just saw today a scene from The Howling 2 and there's a werewolf threesome. Have you seen this? I have not. That is, I have, I'm not familiar with too many. I've seen the first Howling, but that is like where my, my knowledge of the. They're fully nude, but covered in fur, but the fur doesn't cover the nudity. Well, of course not. (laughs) Justing and awesome. Uh, But anyway, I just realized because of the blend of sexuality and werewolves. Mm. Spring, I've never seen the Howling 2. And actually it's kind of funny how, how often, especially for the first few movies, we stumbled into tropes that we didn't know existed. Or I didn't at least. Um, uh, where I was, I was kind of unaware of a few of them. I, there was a piece in my mind that knew that we were playing with something, but it wasn't this like, oh yeah, I've seen ten of these movies. We're going to toy with this. It was more like, yeah, I've, I've, I know that there's like an episode of The Twilight Zone with like a guy with a, a devil with a briefcase or something like that. And it, and it was like in a conversation, yeah. or like a sentence or two, we'd talk about that. But it wasn't like the whole scene. It wasn't like the whole point of it. You know, the the only other. Um, uh show movie anything that i can think of that deals with the um though buried uh like basically the main premise of resolution it, it this idea again f- fundamentally resolution is about uh there's an entity watching these two guys and it is transmitting its observations to various uh mediums whether it be photographs yeah you, you get some indication it used to be k paintings before there was hard drives and celluloid and all that um the only other that's called photography well, it's called a lot of things, but one of the things you would call it is photography, which I think is a term coined by Nikola Tesla um, because a machine he was trying to make that would do that. The only other place I've ever seen that explored is the X-Files. Yeah. So there is a weird, our, our resolution, the, the, there is like one little thing in there that is, it is directly, for, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I was not aware of the episode when I wrote that script, um, but I've been aware of it since. And it's interesting just to see that it's like, oh, that is the one place where that turns up. Yeah. Unless you got to know others, huh. maybe. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. It's like, dude, there's like 20 of them. No, I can't that, think of any. There's 20 that came out this year. No. <laughs> it's funny. It's, um, uh, we're not, we're not, I don't, I literally don't remember if we're talking about it yet or not. So we'll have to be a little vague. But our most, our, our new indie project uh, that we had, we were already through the first draft. While, while Justin was, was tweaking something on the first draft, I happened to read a, um, an HP Lovecraft story that had like a like it used the same mechanic, and we decided like you know what let's just take the name because and, and because it's it's the perfect name and it's and it's like a complete reimagining of that story with the same mechanic in it even though oh. we had not read it in forever or maybe ever. Uh, which one? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I know you don't have to tell me. I'm just like I love HP Lovecraft. So I'm like which one? <laughs> That's very exciting. That was actually the second to last one because we just. Oh, you're right. Second to last. Oh my god. So I got so sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 very we we very quick we we made a we made a movie uh, a few months ago. Yeah. We we made a movie in our apartment a few months ago. So. Oh. I thought it was that. cool. Whatever. You guys just can't can't like not rest. It seems like yeah. I was gonna say, <laughs> aren't you tired? <laughs> it's weird because like sometimes you feel like you're gonna fall into this thing as a as a filmmaker that you're just gonna be always waiting for someone to give you money or permission to go make a project or whatever it is. 
So you like mm-hmm. push yourself, you're like, you got all this time, you got to do it. And then you do it and then you get overemployed. <laughs> like, <much better laughs> and then you're like, why do we do this? This is so far. This is gonna we're never going to We're not going to sleep for three years. This is gonna be- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like one of us should also just like have a baby or some like other impossible thing to make sure that this like this this year is the wildest year we can possibly have. I'm going to have to get one online. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone who's listening, you know, I'll just, I'll just send you Justin's address. Not even a baby to show. I just want to mail a baby. <laughs> mail him a baby. Casual. I mean, that's like a, a, a movie potential right there, right? I mean, this is, this is a, horror, a horror movie. <laughs> I, I made a little 15 second short film, like right when the witch was coming out where it's, it's me doing the peekaboo thing, but there's nothing there. And then I and then I do peekaboo and a baby appears. Oh, get terrified and run away. Uh, because that's, that's that's a nightmare. That sounds pretty horrific. <laughs> it sounds like my worst fucking nightmare. <laughs> ah. Um so <laughs> anyway, um as an adult, speaking of the witch and making short films, um, what draws to, what draws both of you to horror now, now that you're filmmakers? I mean, there's a lot of things, but one of them is there's not there's not a whole lot of places in your adult life as all the mysteries of everything kind of get revealed to you more, more or less. It's not a place, a lot of places where you get to go like have the fun, like roller coaster ride. Like if you were just to find it and be able to transmit it to your TV set in your home, you could have this amazing roller coaster ride actually feeling frightened by something. It's a really special experience when you can get to have it. It's, it's like rare. It's very rare. Um, in fact, there's probably like, one movie every two or three years that do that not to say all of horror has to be scared has to be frightening or that type of thing because it's really fun watching tucker and dale versus evil or something like that but that's one of the things it's like oh it's just it can be really fun and really invigorating like a roller coaster when it when you can actually work out a way to to frighten people um kind of tying on to that what something you said at the very beginning is um if you're making a movie that explores the big questions, you know, you're, that's a good thing to do. Uh, and if you do it under the guise of like a drama, you either win an Oscar or you are a foreign film or you make the most boring movie in the world, right? Like those, that's it. Like you okay. can't fail because otherwise you're a pretentious jerk or, or you know what I mean? Or you're just yep. boring or whatever. The other way you can do that is within the genre space, you know, sci-fi and horror and, and fantasy and all of that where you can talk about these ideas that we all dream about every single night um, and, and, and during our waking hours and some ideas of purpose and ideas of, of beginnings and endings and death and love and life. And it's nice to um, be able to explore that in a form of entertainment that everybody can watch. And it's not just like in, in another world, it's just a black and white movie where you slowly zoom in on a crying child's face at a railroad yard, you know? So it feels it feels nice to be able to talk about bigger, talk about things that you want to talk about with um, with the extra padding of it being accessible and you don't feel like you're as as someone who is not a philosopher you don't feel like I'm, I'm you know putting on a top hat and, and pretending. Right. Cool. With that metaphor, all philosophers wear top hats. So yeah. I mean, I think it comes with the job. Mm-hmm. You're assigned one when you become a philosopher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but so this actually, this next question, Justin, you were talking about how like certain movies come come along every once in a while. 
every once in a while that are really scary. So do you remember what like, the last movie that scared either of you? Like, like remember when you were a kid getting that kind of terrified of it? <clears throat> I've been terrified as an adult recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I gave that ride. Um, off the top of my head, over the last several years, uh, it's been uh, it's been hereditary. And my, my relationship with, with hereditary was that, like, we were, I think when that movie came out, we were out, I think it was the endless we were one of our one of one of the movies was like out doing the film festival circuit we were following it around and i only like weirdly like i knew it was good but then you hear a lot of backlash like why this isn't scary like what's this and so i was expecting like this would be good and i like put it on by myself in my apartment and i just was like this is the most terrifying thing i've ever seen i thought i thought it'd be like end up being super minimalist and what you don't see and nope there's mom sawing her own head off and, and, and it's all and like and it's but that's not because that's not really why it's frightening it's just it's one of those movies where it's just like oh it's got all that worked out um i'm not going to say another one because uh cause aaron I, i'm afraid i'm going to take what's in aaron's <laughs> oh i had a pretty good one that was like oh we don't often talk about this because there's a lot that Oh, I, I've actually, okay, I've got a good one. Because the easy ones, the easy ones that, that are also true is like, you know, The Witch, like Mongo, um, things like that. But um, but you know what actually just like shook me to my core? And um, and I hope that this counts in your question is uh, Paul Schrader's First Performed. Um, that, that movie shook me up and really wrecked me for quite a while. And it's an existential kind of horror, even though I would not... I, I, you know, obviously that is not the kind of movie that you, you put on the horror shelves per se, but this kind of like existential horror. And one of the problems is, is that it's true. You know, it's got, it's got an, an existential climate change anxiety behind it. And, um, and it's tough because no matter what, at the end of the day, these supernatural horrors are, um, for the most part, a, a fiction, you know, I, I, and I say that not discounting the, the potential, um, ramifications of uh an afterlife and, and religion and all of that um but like you know what what ethan hawk's character goes through in first reformed is real it's completely real and it can happen to anyone and i and uh that's that's really rough. outside the whole like strapping yourself with a bomb and barbed wire um but yeah I think the, the other one yeah. that we talk about a lot that's also very real because we've been through it exactly is, uh, <laughs> is Kill List by Ben Wheatley. Oh. Like we've been in that situation. Oh my God. Exactly. Like we were both hitmen. That's how we met. And um, and you know, like we're on this one mission and like we're like, hey, I feel like there's something bigger behind all this. And um, I actually thought you were going to say uh, Wake and Fright. Oh, well, that's because we have too. been in that situation where you're just like in a small town and everyone's just drinking nonstop <laughs> and you'd feel rude if you stop and beer becomes again like this cosmic god that's trying to ruin you <laughs> very relatable content you know hitman and um very relatable existential content. dread right there <laughs> that's such a good specific movie to say that's like based on your life just to kill it like it's just two guys killing killing for money <laughs> kill us is kill us is a is a very frightening film when we actually we didn't know that movie we weren't cool at all we didn't know that movie existed and uh when we were Toward, like following our first movie resolution around different film festivals, I think someone, uh, Ted Geek and I, like, like handed it to us and said, it was like that scene almost famous where like 
the sister, older sister, hands her little brother the records, like someday you'll be cool. You know? <laughs> and that was like, I don't like how Ted handed us a copy of Kill List. Actually, it was, I'm, I'm going to, I'm just yeah, going to yeah. modify this because there's a yeah. little more to describe. Yeah. So we got it actually in this film festival in Sheffield. And they insisted on actually giving us copies of it, even though they were just fans. Like they were just like, you have to have this. And I told them, you know, we both told them, we're like, this is a region two DVD. We cannot possibly play this. And they're still like, have it. It's yours. And so I own Kill List, but I had no way to watch it. We're watching. And then, and then so, so years passed. And then Ted eventually was like, you have to watch Kill List. We're like, fine. So we're, we bought it on Amazon. And, uh, and that's how we did it. So we got that's amazing. Yeah, I, you know, amazing. I was never cool enough to have seen that movie either. And it wasn't until I think like 2018, maybe that I saw it. But man, it's it's a good one. Yeah, it is a good one. I watched that with my dad, at like, when it, where, like when it came out. And my dad's like, that was really stupid. I don't understand anything that happened. So I was like, I don't know either. And then I rewatched it. And I was like, I've n- a man has never been so wrong in his entire life <laughs> to say that this movie was bad. <laughs> no idea where you're coming from, but. But kind of going into, you know, your creative endeavors, can you just, for anyone who hasn't seen Synchronic yet, can you just give them a little bit of an explanation about what the film was about? Yep. Aaron's going to do that. I'm going to put on my my X-Files t-shirt. Okay. I I, I think this is only audio, but let's do it. Okay. Um, So, I think you can see us. We're on Zoom. So, um, Synchronic Synchronic is about... Uh, two uh, best friends who are paramedics in New Orleans. They've been best friends forever, uh, played by Anthony Mackie and Jimmy Dornan. And um, and they start encountering this odd series of first responder scenes. You know, they, they seem kind of impossible. Someone seems stabbed, but the, the, there's no stabbed to death, but with not with like a knife, but like a sword, you know, or mm-hmm. uh, somebody seems to have fallen uh, down an elevator shaft, but um, but it seems like he's fallen way further than the length of the elevator shaft. Or somebody's bitten by a snake that is not native to the area. A whole bunch of kind of impossible things. And you know they're not detectives; it's not their job to figure this out. But that's you know that's what what's happening. But they're all connected by this um, this the this wrapper for a uh, over the counter synthetic designer drug um, called Synchronic. And, uh, and all of all of these rappers, uh, so uh, when I say rapper, I mean like something that it is wrapped in. So not, not a person who is a rapper. Um, oh, it is a sick rap name. Yeah. <laughs> so these, uh, this, they, they see, they find these rappers on the ground in every one of these meetings. Every one of these people took Synchronic. And, uh, and Synchronic has these very bizarre, uh, bizarre effects that to say a lot more as a spoiler, and I don't know if they're doing spoilers. So. Whatever you guys feel we'll probably, comfortable we'll doing. We'll be light. We'll be light. light. Maybe we'll be light on spoilers since this is coming out right when the movie comes out, and we don't want to spoil it for anyone before. That's smart. Watch That's it. smart. Yeah, um, we can. We can. We can talk around it. We're pretty good with that. So. I mean, I feel like you kind of have to oh. with with your films. Like, you know, you always have to like if you're yeah. doing press for your particular films, you kind of have to talk around some of the the spoilers because they're always so twisty. Oh, I, I love the shirt. <laughs> oh my god! Wait, is that from um? Oh, what's his name? There's like a real he. I, what? Where did you get it? Because there's, there's a guy I know who has a shirt like that on his site, and I wonder if it's the same site. Oh, is that last exit to nowhere? No, I don't know if that's what yours is. It's it's. You're right. Um, what is the name of that? I feel terrible because I have two. Of, I have two of his shirts. I know. I, I have two of his shirts. Yeah. Yeah, I have his X Files one too. With that looks like a black flag shirt, but it's X Files shirt. Wait, black lunch. Uh, 
I'm sorry. It's a Twin Peaks. Yes. Yeah. Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. By the way, oh my God, I heard that I saw the greatest tweet the other day. It was um, the best thing about David Lynch films is uh, that there's no possible way to spoil them. that's a fair point (laughs) it's true though so um i I, i'm curious i'm curious what your your guys's thought process is when you when you go into designing a film because it again it seems like we talked a little bit earlier about how uh you guys sort of play in different genres do you set out like i want to tell a time travel story or i want to tell this story or i want to tell a story about romancing a, a monster how how does how does that come about especially with in in regards to synchronic how does the story kind of evolve gosh it's uh it's usually it's usually this sort of sci-fi horror premise comes first and then like the character and the themes quickly come after because that's the reason why you got excited about the premise was because it somehow you just knew immediately that it's like the seed to talking about all this other stuff you want to talk about, you know, whether that's themes or character or, uh, or the emotional stuff involved. Synchronic specifically started with um, the idea that what if there were a substance that put you into an altered state that allowed you to see time uh, as Einstein described it, as there being no distinction between past, present or future sort of block state universe theory. Um, and then quickly everything else came out from that because it was like, oh, then you could tell the time travel story where thematically it could be about not romanticizing the past, which usually time travel stories are about like, you get back there and Eris Olsen, everything's like literally beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But um, so that was that. And then like, I'm thinking, trying to think of like specific instances and other stories. I think the endless started with, um, well, we already knew those characters. We knew those right. characters were in a cult and we knew we wanted to tell a story about um, rejecting conformity and all that, that type of thing. So that was, a, that, that happened really fast. Um, Spring was started with the, the premise that I won't, gives away too much to say what uh, the character Louise is in Spring, mm-hmm. but um but that premise came and then, and then the story that grew out of it, we just realized like this whole thing is about rebirth, whether it's the rebirth of someone who is going through uh, something tough in their life and they need to be reborn in a particular way, or it's literally, <laughs> and I'm not going to say too much, but, right, right. Uh, but, and then um, uh, resolution was, it started with the premise that we didn't sell from the X-Files, but could have of photography. And, and uh wait we i know we've done well that's probably it that's probably yeah. all we can see out loud yeah yeah, yeah. oh here's here's like there's one that we took from oh, oh my god that's so funny uh we did a short film called wrecked that was uh, a, a play on uh twilight zone ideas you know it's got oh. a it's got a uh, this amazing actor named Cassim. uh i cannot pronounce his last name g he goes by Cassim g uh i don't i don't know if he can pronounce his last name but uh, where he's a fighter pilot that got wrecked in the desert, which sounds like, I, I don't know, four or five Twilight Zone episodes, whether or not they are. Um, and it's, it's I, I hope you guys, somebody gets to watch this because it's on YouTube and it's only like 12 minutes long. But that's, that's uh, that was one where I think we we're just asked like, hey, do you guys have any Twilight Zone stories? <laughs> 
so you said that one's on on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll find it. And put links to it in the in the show notes. Then we, we did a segment for uh, VHS Viral called Bone Storm. And, <laughs> yes, uh, you did. Yeah, see that one was unique because that one was like we got to come up with something found footage and it was like okay and they're like we want it to be like kinetic we're like okay skate videos kids make skate videos mm-hmm. and then the next thought was it was like it should be tony hawk skateboarding meets mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> and then it, it doesn't go much deeper than that but yeah, that's cool. kind of what it is <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a story about friendship but you guys, not really watching these 12 minutes of uh Um, so one thing that I know that Terry and I really love about your films is, um, the way they address friendship, particularly between friendships between men. Um, and it is so refreshing to see that on screen. And so what has it been like to kind of work together and create these really awesome, like male bonds on screen that we almost never see? It's funny. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll actually just address a little piece of your question and then, and then go into it. But it is almost literally business god coincidence that uh, that it's been male friendships. We have so many projects that explore romances, marriages, uh, relationships between women. Um, we have so many, and it just happens to be, you know, resolution was what it was. Spring is a, a heterosexual. Yeah, romance. right. Um, the endless. It was just because we knew it had to be the two of us because of just the way the movie was being made, and we happened to be two men. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so it's like it's just this thing. It's like it is not a, it's not a deliberate focus. The relationship, oh, okay. is, but the deconstruction of the masculine relationship is not. Um, that's that's just like the way the winds blow, and we have probably twice as many projects that just are harder to get made for one reason or another, but not for the relationship aspect that are not masculine focused. We cool. we just we just made a movie a few months ago where no one is friends ever. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like part of the premise of the movie. Um, it's a friendship opportunity. Yeah. We also, it was interesting, we, we worked on a, uh, a feature film about uh, a real historical figure named Aleister Crowley. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh boy, Aleister Crowley. <clears throat> and that was, that when I look back on that project, we had, we had developed it as a movie and then a TV show. But the movie version especially, it was so much about like, like, <laughs> Like, it was sort of a condemnation of like he was he was such the opposite of um of like giving a kind treatment to uh the types of characters and films we've done in our past and it was it, it's it's i don't think we i haven't opened that script up since like 2016 i don't think but as i was just thinking about it, it's so wildly the opposite of everything we've ever done mm. that would have been cool <laughs> yeah <laughs> Going to your, your question about the relationship side of it, it is a conscious choice in many ways. Um, I'm, I'm actually going to, I'm going to give you a super pragmatic thing, um, is that a lot of the reasons that our, our, our movies are about a relationship between specifically two people and no more and no less um, is a math problem. Um, you need to get your uh, audience and to care about your characters and know them deeply. And you have 90 minutes to, to two hours to do so. And we believe that it takes all of that time to do so. If you subtract a character, then you have to have people talking to themselves or a whole bunch of ensemble characters that pop in and out of their lives, which as independent filmmakers is very expensive. Yeah. And if you introduce new dynamics, you now have to get to know three people and you have even less screen time to fully understand them all. You have four people. And then again, going back to the math problem now becomes a money problem where 
uh, you're making an independent film. And now anytime that you have a scene with three people in it, you owe one more shot every single day. Uh, every, I'm sorry, every single scene, one more shot you didn't have time for before. Um, and then you have four people, you owe two more shots, five people, you owe three more shots. And so it's funny where it's like, this is not just a, a budget problem, but it's just one of those things like, we're not even going to set out to make an ensemble in 90 minutes because there's, you will, everyone will just have to end up as some kind of an archetype at that point. You know, they just have to, because you don't have enough time to really know who they really are. Um, and so yeah. you either make a little gamble with your audience and say like, okay, this guy's wearing the Letterman jacket. You already know everything about him. He's the jock. You know, you kind of already know what he's going to do. So you can do that where it's like, all right, like the audience knows him so he can just get through that and get to the plot and whatever. Or you can make your whole movie about getting to know these two people and get into the nuances of it and, and hopefully succeed at like making you care about them and understand them in a way that, that exceeds architect. That makes sense. I, I did have another question, particularly about Synchronic, because I mean, you have like stars of like Jamie and Anthony on, on the program. How different was that working with, with them vice working more with like the indie thing where it's more a little bit, maybe self-controlled as in terms of who you're, you're casting and working with. What was it like working with gosh, Jamie and Anthony? We always say we got, we, we got really lucky in that, you know, if they wanted to make our lives terrible, totally could have, um, you know, if one of, if they, yeah if i mean if one of them walked away we have no there's no that means everything falls apart and you're yeah. in the partnership and uh and they were just always super super kind to us and that was amazing you always kind of hear horror stories about someone making their first kind of bigger budget thing and mm-hmm. and, and dealing with the dynamics of dealing with stars and stuff like that that wasn't the case it was totally easy the, the biggest like most noticeable difference was just that on all of our other movies, we always had like weeks of, uh, of rehearsal going mm-hmm. into it. And they're really, really busy guys. So there's no way you're going to get that. And that doesn't mean what you ultimately have is it's neither better nor worse, but it's different than what you usually do. Because usually when you're rehearsing with them, you're constantly changing the dialogue and the script to, uh, to go to, to sort of uh, tailor it to that person. Um, so that was the first mm-hmm. time we didn't do that. And it just makes it different. Yeah. yeah it just it's definitely like a different yeah. thing um but that was also like realistically that is most movies that is what you're gonna do <laughs> like if, if it's not an independent film where you're you know mostly making it with you and, and friends i think i mean if someone's getting like a month of rehearsal <laughs> <laughs> but it's also it, it's a fun contrast also because between these two movies between i'm sorry between synchronic before Synchronic was the endless and after Synchronic is this new thing, both of them just starring us. And the, the, the absolute benefit of that is we just rehearsed ourselves to death and it was great. You know, like, and by the way, like Synchronic doesn't suffer for it. It's just a whole new dynamic, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a, new, it's a new thing about like figuring out these little moments right there. And then, um, and, uh, and also these guys are pros and we're just a bunch of clowns. So like they, they, <laughs> they understand what the camera needs. They understand what the story needs, you know, very quickly. So. That's awesome. Um, okay, so we've talked about your childhoods, talked about Synchronic. So, uh, but Justin and Aaron, what show, movie slash show are we talking about today? Uh, we're talking about uh, an episode of The X Files called Home. Oof, which yes, we are. Probably oh boy. 
Is it the most controversial episode of the X-Files? I think it I think it is. Um so for those of you who haven't seen it, it's season four, episode two of the X-Files. Um the remains of a murder deformed infant lead agents Scully and Mulder to a family of murderous inbred animal-like brothers living on a secluded farm in a remote section of Pennsylvania. Wow. Yeah. Um wow. We're actually living right now, kind of near where it takes place. Really? Trip. Yeah, it's <laughs> so, yeah. I smell road trip potential right there. Why don't you, you should go there and make I a know. sequel to it. I'm curious where uh, the Peacock family has has gotten to over the years. Well, they actually they shot all of the X Files in Vancouver, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I know it's oh, oh oh yeah. yeah yeah. So they they doubled. I don't know how you can possibly double rural Pennsylvania for Canada. <laughs> they, they did. I don't know. But okay, so how old were each of you when you yeah. saw this for the first time? Like what happened? Like tell us your horror story with this episode of X Files. <laughs> um <laughs> I I'll I'll be I'll be a little transparent here. I for sure saw this episode when it aired. Um, because that was my, as I mentioned earlier, my ritual with my dad. Um, we would do rituals. The ritual was watching X Files. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> and uh, so I for sure saw it. Uh, I cannot actually remember it then. I've rewatched it recently because there's a lot of chatter around this episode recently and realized what it is. So, uh, so I would say my, my relationship with it as a, uh, as something that scarred me is, is kind of weirdly retroactive where I look back on it and I was like, oh, that's, yep. Okay. That was, that was an exposure to something really gnarly, really early for sure. And it's yeah. somehow going to do the work I'm, somehow. What about you, Justin? I think I was about twelve, and I, but I, I remember, but I don't. Here's the thing: I don't know if I fully understood uh, what was going on in that family dynamic. I think I just felt really gross afterwards, mm. but like didn't quite. It's weird. It's like it's not said out loud. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was, it was, I, I, but I'll make some other funny observations. Um, watching it as a child. You know, you're disturbed by it. You're. Re- I remember being really frightened by the um, the car driving up the street playing that song. The music. Oh, oh yes. In the old Chevy drums in that song playing up to the house. Because I had before I saw that episode when I was a little kid, I'd have these nightmares of um of this uh, of the sound of of uh, of hooves coming up the street, and it was a horse drawn hearse pulling up my house, and this person would get out of the hearse and stare at my window. And and like and it was like they were coming to collect people. It was the weirdest like dream to have a child. But that, wow. that car registered the fact that like when you hear that car coming and you hear that yeah. that music, that means wonderful, that, wonderful. Yeah, and it's oh, almost so like the Grim Reaper. Oh my coming. god! Wow. Oh my god. That's like I find that to be like a real. I don't know. There's like something like like pr- primal isn't the right word, but it's something like that. It's like you're like born with that arm yeah. in your head or something. But I think because of that, there's there's this whole episode. You know, on its surface, obviously, it's just like, oh, yeah, a grisly, you know, incestuous, you know, uh, Hills Has of Eyes kind of tale. Yeah. But there's also a really big um, examination, I guess, to use a bigger word for it, is deconstruction of, you know, um, lost American innocence in Americana. And I think that that car specifically Mm -hmm. and that song specifically, like, harkens to the 50s uh, as, like, this wonderful, wonderful thing. and then, of course, it's carrying a bunch of hillbillies that are going to murder you, <laughs> which, which is it also ties into synchronic. It also, I mean, you can. It's weird because this is this is uh, not not to. I mean, 
the societal issues and political issues that they say aren't that different from the 1980s even like not that different this this episode of tv from the 90s from what year is it it's 96 96 in the mid 90s there's lots of ways to interpret it uh yeah yeah. to look at it politically or you know socially and that's really interesting and it's actually like really relevant today in, in the sense that like I don't know. Are Mulder and like Mulder and Scully are being a little uppity towards that family, and like should, should the family be left alone? But what they're doing is really horrific, and they are once once they hit the hornet's nest, it like mm-hmm. they are fucking gnarly. Yeah. yeah, but but also like they they took real care to by the end of the episode make sure that we're all a little tiny bit conflicted about at least like the mother's role in everything. And, oh. Uh, and that's that's by the way, I assume we're spoiling it. Do we want to oh, just yeah. we're just oh, yeah. talk oh, about everything? We're, spo- we're gonna dig into themes, yeah. we're gonna dig into all that oh, shit. Yeah. yeah. Also, like let's talk about how like Mulder and Scully, when people get killed in that episode, they're just like, Okay, but I got this plan with the pigs. You know, and it's just yes. like, someone just died. Oh my yeah. god. Oh yeah, we talked about this. So okay, so there's a scene that uh, this is this is what I want. I want to focus the whole episode around this. And by the way, um, full props to. I'm going to back up. I'm going to talk for a little bit here. Sorry, but back up is. So this was written, uh, co-written by uh, Glenn Morgan, who is one of the main writers on the X Files, and uh, and also, by the way, a very close friend of ours because he wrote our Twilight Zone episode. Yes, he did. Uh, so, uh, and actually, I texted him uh, just before doing this, and I said, "Hey, we're doing a whole episode about home," and he goes. Don't you have better things to be doing with your time? <laughs> um, and I said, you should join us. And he says, there's football. Priorities, <laughs> um, hey, man. I got it. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyways, uh, there's, you know, there's this, uh, there's this, this scene that is like downright hilarious. Uh, it really is. I did not remember where. So, um, you know, the Mulder and Scully are going to go and take down the hillbillies with the deputy who is very upset that his, I think, chief, police chief has been yeah, killed. Yeah, the sheriff is killed. And the deputy goes in and sets off a, a trap and gets his head cut off by a uh, by an axe that is like on a wire when he opens the door. And no joke, Scully sees this, runs o- uh, kind of power walks over to Mulder <laughs> and then goes, deputy so-and-so uh, just got beheaded. And Mulder's looking through binoculars and just goes, Yes, Scully, they're exhibiting pack tactics. <laughs> and it's just something like that. And it's like, wait, you're not going to talk about the dead guy at all? And the, no, he's just like, and then it cuts to a scene of him like doing some kind of caper with a bunch of pigs. Yep. <laughs> and they're just giggling about it and cracking jokes. And like, I, she talks about Babe, about watching them. Babe. I don't remember the X Files having no regard for human life whatsoever. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's really funny because like I, I I made a note about this when I watched this again last night about how you know Mulder the night before he sees on television is like janky television that that there's like a nature documentary about animal behavior and and then all of a sudden he's quoting that as if like he's known this for like years he's like oh well that they're just exhibiting pack behavior and I'm like this is a poor man that just got killed right in front of you it's kind of funny see uh see our episode of the twilight zone um because it was one of the changes that we got surprised by when we saw and not in a bad way uh when we saw our twilight zone episode is originally they were watching something else in the station on uh in the in the the arctic station they were watching something else on the laptop they're watching a, an old twilight zone episode actually 
And uh, and then when we saw it, they'd actually replaced it with a nature a nature documentary about sharks and stuff. <laughs> yeah, about, about about like praise killing. I kind of love that. That's really cool. I like, but those are, there's an interesting observation that you made though too. Is that you know this hills have eyes, text chains on a masker esque family. You see them very much mourning losses. Yeah, yes. yeah, very yeah. much mourning. In fact, it's kind of where the episode basically sort of starts. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. but but like. But Mulder and Scully are just like, they're cold. They just don't. <laughs> they're Stone just cold. cold. Yes. And actually, something I genuinely don't remember, and I don't know if you do. Do they just always, like, kill the bad guy at the end and, like, they have a huge body count? Do I, like, not remember the fact that... No, I don't... They don't usually have a giant... They don't usually have a huge body count. They don't always... Like, I feel like most of the time, it, they don't really figure out what it is either or, like, solve it. You know, yeah. it's always, like... So, this definitely was more... Of, Violent, I guess, Corey. They never solve their mysteries. They always just leave it open and they're just like, I don't know what happened here, Scully. And Scully's like, it was some form of psychosis. Well, the truth is out there. You know, that's how we get it. Truth is out there. We'll eventually get to it. (laughs) You know, so I I do have a question kind of going back to your childhood. Um, Do you guys remember the sort of like, furor about this about this coming on on television because of like the TVM rating and everything? Does, Does that, did that ever like, pop into your head when you were a kid i don't remember i i know i know that it was a thing and i can't remember if the situation was that they couldn't like they couldn't rerun it at the end of the season or they couldn't show it at all i can't remember because i thought it was that they could they could show it originally yeah and then it was like couldn't rerun it and then it started popping up in syndication right yeah so um because i i would have been 96 i would have been 15 when this came out and so i my my recollection of this was that like i in, in the nineties, I couldn't watch a whole lot of TV because I was in marching band. And so marching band, you had to practice at nights. And so you didn't have DVR, so you couldn't like record things. So like my ability to watch television was, was pretty minuscule, but I remember this one being like whispered about because it was like one of the first times that a, a show on broadcast network. Cause again, I didn't have, I didn't have cable in the nineties either was going to be TVM. It was going to be a mature thing that they were airing on, on Fox on a Friday night. And so I remember I remember all that kind of fear leading up to it and then watching it and being like, Oh my gosh, it was, it was so good. And then everyone started complaining, particularly about the, the dead baby at the beginning. And then they never aired it again until like 1999 is when they finally on a, on a Halloween on Fox television, were like the episode, the one episode of X-Files that was banned. We're coming back for one night. And so they started like leaning into that marketing, but yeah, it showed up on like on effects and, and that kind of thing syndication. But like, yeah, I just I, I remember that being such a big moment for for network television mm. in the nineties. That's that I I I've heard that as well. And also it's it's because uh, we picked Glenn's brain to death, I think, on it when we were on Twilight Zone. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put any words in his mouth. But I do remember that to him, uh it was it was like he knew the episode was really good. Uh, but but it was also did not see. I, I, am I wrong here? He didn't really. He was like, I didn't think it would be like a big deal. He knew it was just good and really. But I, I think he was just like, yeah, we're just trying to be kind of messed up. But they always X Files always kind of messed up. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. The uh, uh, I, I don't remember any controversy. Obviously, yeah. But, um, the uh, uh, the fact that it's that that it's actually like like a major network show has a hidden episode <laughs> is, is a really cool idea. Yeah. yeah. There's also like, there's nothing in it 
and not to say, by the way, it's, it's amazing. It's brilliant. It is shocking, but there's also, there's nothing in it content wise that you could tell someone about that is, uh, that is less shocking or that, that is more shocking than anything you would see on a, um, like a Ryan Murphy show now, like, a no, you're absolutely whatever, right. Whatever season of, um, American horror story. Uh, and that's, yes, we, we've escalated as a, as a, as a society. Yeah. Uh, and that's interesting. Well, really interesting. Yeah. This, so this episode, okay. So my parents grew up, well, I grew up with my parents watching the X-Files. Like every Friday night we would be in bed so they could watch X-Files. And I remember hearing the uh, theme song coming down the hallway from our, our house was pretty small so I could hear it in my bedroom. And like, I would sneak out and try to watch it and then get the shit scared out of me, whatever was happening. Um, and this was the episode that my parents always talked about as like the pinnacle of X-Files, like why X-Files is amazing, like the best thing ever. And so I heard about it like multiple times from my family and I was finally old enough to watch it. And I definitely was not, I was like 10, like definitely not old enough, but I watched it and was so uncomfortable the entire time. It was, I don't, I watched it last night and I was like, I did not understand what was happening, but my stepdad always, this is terrible. He would make jokes about the woman on the cart the mom and it wasn't funny but i didn't understand it and then she got pulled out from under the bed on the show and i was like i can't do this like this is just entirely entirely too much and i I couldn't process what was happening and my stepdad's like did you know what just happened i was like "Uh uh-uh and then he explained it to me which is somehow worse having your stepdad explain (laughs) that episode to you but um that was fun but the (laughs) the one part i really remember this is a very weirdly specific moment is when he sucks the gasoline out of the um the -hmm. can to put into the car and i thought for some reason that really freaked me out the idea of drinking gasoline and that scene stuck with me and i hadn't remembered it until i watched it last night and i watched it i was like that was the scariest moment to me was him drinking gasoline i I want to back you up on that because that <laughs> the idea of siphoning gasoline using your mouth is something that if you've never been introduced to it before, it is a shocking idea, even though like we've kind of had right? that idea in the consciousness forever. But if you've never been introduced to it, yeah, that, that is just a, like the idea of, oh yeah, you just spit it out. Like, oh man, it's like toxic. It's so toxic. Right? Well, and like, oh, remembered by the way, that, that was another movie that my cousin Adam introduced me to, The Toxic Avenger. That was it. Okay. Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> oh boy. But yeah. yeah, just like that image of the guy with like the gross teeth, just like enveloping the. No, thank you. <laughs> but then, like we said, I watched it this time, and I felt sad for them, which was a very weird moment, like feeling to have. I was like, why do I feel upset? Like this is a very weird feeling. But you do, like you said, you do see Scully and. Mulder is not necessarily as heroic as I think you would initially think. Because they're like, oh, well, this probably isn't the X, like for the FBI or X-Files. And like, oh, well, they might have kidnapped someone. Like, oh, yep, now we have probable cause. Yeah. It's like, what? (laughs) Okay, okay. I mean, I think maybe it does raise some really interesting ethical questions because, correct me if I'm wrong, they were there because they found the remains of the baby. Mm-hmm. which is a very disturbing yeah. image and all of that. But we see them mourning, the family mourning. The, you just don't understand where the baby came from. You find out where the, and that's, but that's how Mulder and Scully basically ended up there. Yeah. Was to investigate that. You find out that as disturbing as it all is, this is a fully consensual functioning family unit. 
that Mulder and Scully have gone in on and found every reason to, well, we know, to murder. However, they didn't know they were, again, they don't know they're kicking the hornet's nest and sending them out into town to go kill, uh, which at that point, they are criminals. But before that point, should Mulder and Scully be there? No. I, I, I do believe, and I have no idea, and I don't even feel comfortable saying this with a microphone, but I, I think it's illegal, <laughs> no matter what. So, yeah. you know, that, and, it, and it probably should be. Um, but the, um, the, the concept of um, the fact that they were all, like, apparently keeping to themselves, which was a whole thing, right? I mean, they, mm-hmm. they said that so many times. It's like, we just let them do their thing because we don't want things to change around here, you know, which, is, which is a big theme of the whole the whole right. idea is like we're, we like our little small town and uh, anything that happens shakes it up and we don't want to shake it up. And um, uh, and I do find it really interesting having Mulder and Scully come in. I mean, having them be interlopers is definitely a huge theme of the X-Files, but having them like all potential for like investigating a really heinous thing that's going on is also somehow a potential trigger to blow up the myth of the American dream that everyone else has. Right. It's like very interesting. It's a, I, I, I want to just like applaud uh, Glenn and I apologize. I cannot remember his co-writer for James Wong. Thank you. James Wong. Yeah. You know, the thing that this, this watching this last night brought back a lot of memories for, because in, and I've mentioned this briefly on the podcast before, but when I was in high school, I was a junior in high school. Someone that I went to school with was, was I, 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 I went to school in Bellevue, Nebraska, and it's this kind of small town. It's, it's like 40,000 people. So it's not anywhere near as like small as like home is in this episode, but like, it's kind of kept the small town vibe, even though it does have 40,000 people living in it. And there was, there was a kid in junior when I was a junior in high school that was brutally murdered, um, ritualistically murdered, stabbed with knives, like brutal murder. And the way the town reacted to that, this movie, this episode brought back so many memories of being a kid and and kids in school wouldn't want to talk about it. It was like hushed whisperings people that when, when reporters would ask about it, no one in the town wanted to talk to outsiders because they wanted to maintain their sort of like, we're just a small town. We're not like the other towns. There's nothing bad that ever happens here in the heartland of America. It's this. And so like seeing the way that the sheriff kind of like, ah, you know, I've seen all these horrible things that happen outside of my home and I just don't want my home to change. It just, it reminded me so much of this, of this episode and sort of like that kind of small town fear in the, in the nineties of like trying to keep that kind of American innocence you had mentioned before of like the 1950s still alive. It's, it's kind of, it kind of made me feel weird last night. Yeah. Well, it's, the, the idea is it, it's super clear and it was clear in 1996 when they put it out, which is so funny because feels like a new problem right which is like <laughs> yeah. hey this giant glistening facade of the amazing american um white picket fence mm-hmm. it actually has a festering cancer in it and as long as you don't poke that festering cancer everything's okay right but you have to because it's the right thing to do mm-hmm. and uh and that's you know that apparently was true in 1996 and by the way they did not stumble into that that is that is on purpose like they this is this is not us ascribing modern ideas to to an older episode of the X-Files. They were no. examining exactly what we're talking about. I mean, it's in, it's in the Wikipedia. They say, this is what we're trying to do. Yeah. Right. Well, and, and it mm-hmm. kind of, I mean, you can kind of see what, what I think is so 
kind of brave and exciting about this episode is that this is X-Files is kind of at their height at this time. You know, it's like there are millions of people are watching this. It is a mainstream program and they have written an episode that takes homages to like the Hills have eyes and to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the themes introduced and discuss, discussed in those 1970s films are being like repackaged for uh, a television episode for at that time, modern audiences. And it's the same kind of themes being explored, that sort of rottenness in uh, the heartland, rottenness in like the small town home, rottenness in America that no one wants to um, talk about. Mm. Yeah. And it's interesting. And even when we look at it from a 2021 perspective, we still see the same themes from literally the 1970s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, uh, I actually wanted to bring up something because I was, I don't have an answer to it, but the name home feels really well picked, even though mm. the title doesn't play, you know, I mean, you're just watching the X-Files. Nobody really pays attention to the title, but um, there's a lot of different like ways to interpret it, you know, because home, you know, there's the whole idea of like, Oh, home is what you make of it. So this is their, as Justin was just saying, like, like these people were actually seemingly relatively happy with their extraordinarily disturbing existence. That was their home, you know, and we have people coming in and invading. Actually, there's several versions of home invasions in the movie, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. We have the invasion of the, yeah. the, the chief of police and then Mulder and Scully are the home invaders. And um, is there another one? Well, then they're in the home being invaded by the people that used to live in the home because now they're in the home and trying to keep the, the, the brothers out of the home. <laughs> yeah. So there's like multiple different ways of, of oh, seeing okay. that. Hang on, I'm sorry. Is the town called home? Am I forgetting that? No, it is. Yeah. Yeah, the town yeah. is called home. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, but I'm, I'm ignoring that. It, but uh, saying that that wasn't an accident, of course. So. And also, by the, by the way, in, in terms of thematically, it also connects to uh, William Faulkner's A Rose for Emily, which I don't know if you guys had to read that. Oh, yeah. In, 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 in any of your journeys, but um, basically about a you know, uh, short story about a woman in the South who... Um, uh, just after the Civil War, right? And and pe- people are coming, reconstruction people are coming down, and she hooks up. She's been lonely. She hooks up one of the guys who comes down from the north to work in the town. Guy disappears. Years go by, and they're like, "Oh, she was happy for a little while. We hadn't seen her in years." And then um, one day, when she finally passes away, it turns out that she's been sleeping with his dead body. Oh her. my god! Holy and, shit! And the whole and the whole thing is this. The whole thing is this you know metaphor between about preserving the south and the relationship between the north and the wow. south and all this stuff. Wow. um but yeah that's guys that's william faulkner yeah wow <laughs> that's, that's, I, read that in, I read that in high school like that was wow. a high school requirement uh uh so, so interesting so i want to i want to i would love to have glenn is like such a character and he's like one of my favorite people in the whole world but he has he's the riest person i think i know and I want to hear him talk about Faulkner in relation to home so bad. You just, you know, open, open a whole can of worms I didn't know. That's great. There's some there's some similarities there. That's cool. That's great. Wow. That's really weird. Now that I, I think about it. Let me shout out something very particular in this episode that I just like. Okay, so zooming out for a second, um, we, we are obviously in, or at least uh, at the end of, or, or some, somewhere we are in a golden age of, of TV, right? Right now. Back then, you know, TV was kind of considered a, a lesser art form, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that fair to say? Yeah. yeah. It's like you wouldn't, you, you like cinema, like you, yeah. back then, I think if you were 
if you were Steven Spielberg in the nineties, you would never go to TV. Yeah, you're never doing it. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of the time it was like, you know, you're shooting it's season four, episode two, you know, you've done it a billion times. We're setting up the dolly track here. We're shooting this close up there. This is how the X-Files looks. There's not, there's not a whole lot of like things being tried. Uh, and I don't mean the X-Files. I just mean in general, in general, like, yeah. 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 you just need to make your day and get enough close ups. So you can cut a thing together, you know, that has the character work. Um, the lighting in that episode rules. It is so cool. Yeah. Uh, it is it is not easy to do really fascinating lighting in a TV schedule. And also, by the way, not just a TV schedule, but it has so much darkness in it. And yeah. people, because TV, you don't know how the TV set is set, like normally the network is telling you, like, do not shoot something really dark. Because if their TV set isn't set right, then they don't see anything and we get weird phone calls, you know. And nobody knew how to calibrate a TV set in 1996. People barely know today. And so... They have this opening that has these wild flashes of light with that 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 from all different directions, which is a very expensive look, um, and then also flashing in these these huge fields. It's very hard to do, and light and uh, I'm sorry, and rain and all of that. So this scene actually looks absolutely amazing. But really, I want to call out when we first allude to the mother. Oh my god. Uh, and it, and it's just the scene inside the house ends and the camera wanders off into total darkness and then continues and you see something there kind of going <sighs> and then it just keeps moving in, moving in and you just see two eyes and it takes forever to reveal it and you're just, you are just showing two eyes and I don't know if people like Fox gave them phone calls saying like, hey, I can't see anything, you know, and they fought against it or whatever, but that that shot must have been there's a lot of balls involved in that shot. It truly yeah. there are. Like you see it and it's like, of course, it's amazing. It's, it's the best shot in the whole episode. But but for what the demands of TV are and were, uh, where they're even heightened then, where it's like, you know, we don't have HD TVs, you know, people, right. the colors are crushed all over the place. The blacks were super yeah. black, high contrast. And they just introduced the whole character by just going to black. And then just showing just their eyes on a network TV show. And I think that's crazy. So it, it's so hard for me to remember to like watching this because I've watched so much of it on demand because I was, um, was like still, I was still really young when it first came out. So like watching it now on like Netflix or Hulu, it's like, oh, this was on like TV. Like these people watch this with commercial breaks like every week. So it's very, it's like, oh yeah, that's like creepy television we have today. But realizing how groundbreaking it was in 96, as opposed to what we see, like you said now, I think Justin with like American Horror Story and how we just kind of, we don't care as much about the horror, like horror-y stuff on screen. It kind of surprised me a bit um, with with that that particular shot, how cinematic this episode felt in a, in a way that i mean i'm I'm not a really big i don't know a lot of x-files i mean i think i saw like maybe the first two seasons and then i got in, again with with my band and everything i was like every night i was doing something so i couldn't keep up with television so i didn't watch television but like this seemed really really cinematic and i that shot in particular jumped out of me and then the shot when the sheriff and his wife are murdered and it's the pan outside of the house like outside the house yeah yeah. and it's like just pulling out and going back down to the car and i'm like wow that is a really well constructed for broadcast television in the 90s that is a really good shot that that you would see now a lot more in television but like i don't remember being yeah. as like surprised at shots in the nineties with, with television. Cause it is on such a tight schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Sure. Uh, and I mean, I, 
I would assume, I mean, we haven't asked Glenn about this. We would assume a lot of the reasons why it is so cinematic is because, well, even though he is not the director of that episode, he is the writer, he's one of the writers of the episode, and, and he is someone who works in cinema. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's like, oh, yeah, it's mine. Probably thinks that way. I mean, I couldn't, I mean, he never had to do this, but I know, like, when it's weird, when, when you're working in TV, the, it's not weird, but in TV, the writer, your boss, uh, which the dynamics mm-hmm. are different in other places, but, um, Luckily, he never had to like come down to us and be yeah. like, "Be like, Could you be cinematic, please." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The uh, the um, actually, I, I, this is just me going from the Wikipedia, not not from the horse's mouth. But I think he did, him and and James James it was James yeah. James Wong um, had left the X Files briefly, and then to to go and work on another show that I watched. I cannot remember what it's called, like Space Station or something like that. Um, and I actually really liked the show, but I can't remember saying. But um, but then when he, I think this episode for whatever reason was kind of like his comeback. Their comeback, right? right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I don't I don't know anything about the first episode of that season, so forgive me if that's totally wrong. But I I bet that's another reason. I'll bet they kind of like. We're able to negotiate to be like, hey, we really got to kind of do this, you know. We got to. It can't just yeah. be the close-ups and the wide, you know. And it feels cool. So, well, and the thing that that um, I realized last night was that I, because again, I, I'm not as big of an X Files. Like, I don't know as much about it. But the two episodes that stick out in my mind were this episode and then the episode from I think it was maybe season one or season two called Ice, and that was also written by the two of them. Mm. What can you give me? Uh, That's the one about like uh, they're they're in Alaska resort, like a remote part of Alaska, and there's like a parasite that is infecting people yes. and turning them against each other. Uh-huh. Those are literally the two episodes of, of uh, the X Files I remember, and I was like, oh, <laughs> it makes sense. They're both written and by the same people. You want to know something? Please funny? watch more X Files, though. Uh, I think it's like the third episode of all of season one or something, but it's called Stretch. The guy who can like stretch his body. <gasps> I have no joke. Tombs? Yes, Tombs. Yes, oh my God. Yeah, Toomey? Toomey. Either way. Yeah. Yeah. That that motherfucker haunted my childhood. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Uh, I have read the novelization of that episode. Like, I was really into that episode. Like that- Okay, and also, he's from Baltimore, and I, I was born in Baltimore, so I'm always like, he's here. Like, I still live kind of near Baltimore, and I'm like, he's here. He's coming for me. I watched that episode once when I was babysitting in front of a, a fireplace, and I was like, a fucking hand is going to come down the fireplace, <laughs> and Tombs is going to encase me in his nasty little, like, bile cocoons. Oh, I kind of do remember that now that you're talking about it. I kind of yeah, remember that episode. Two, there was two episodes with him. He could stretch into like all the, like all the little crevices and stuff and he could kill people and they couldn't figure out who it was because they didn't realize he was coming in through the <laughs> vents. The, the, the shot you'd remember, I think, is probably it's just a close-up of the vent and you watch the screws get unscrewed from the inside of the vent. Mm. And it's very scary to watch. It's uh, very scary. There's also a shot of him just like at the end of an event, but his his arm is stretching, but it like it looks like nothing. But then you realize his arm is stretched out way further than any normal arm. Yes, should be stretched. We've we've made a Justin and I have made a commercial for an Olympus camera, I think. Yeah, and it had a man with a super long arm. We talked about the Twilight Zone stretch. <laughs> I just want to say one last thing about home. Yeah, please do. No, please, one, please. One yeah. last thing. I'd love. The amount of time in that episode spent of Mulder and Scully expressing the science behind the the um, the, the 
the the death of the peacock family is a good way to put it. Genuinely, I don't. I'm not saying it sarcastically. I love it when movies and TV shows do that. I don't even use the word exposition for that. I just think like if it's not dragging, it's just super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, and I we, we find ourselves all the time having to having to remove things like that from things we've done um, to speed things up a little bit. But I just love it that like there's again midnight network TV show. They're like, nope, we're gonna give a whole scientific explanation for everything in this lab. And it's and it's just so interesting. And um it's so interesting. You can almost feel like the excitement of the actors expressing it. Yeah. <laughs> it is, oh my god. Uh, I actually wanted to I just remembered another moment I want to just talk about. I don't even yeah. know in what way, but it's just kind of it's uh it's it's one expression of emotion where it's the first time they ever go to the peacock's door. Uh, and they can see in through the screen door. Mm. And, uh, and they go, hello, and nobody answers. And so uh, I believe one of them reaches for the door. And the other Elder one wants to go in. And he goes, no. They goes, hang on, probable cause. And then they look around and they just see like a pair of scissors. And I think it might be covered in a bunch of blood. It is, but you don't <laughs> yes, see that right away. You just see it. like it a pair of scissors. And, then, and it's this expression of motion. They just look at each other and they just sigh. And then they pull out their guns. <laughs> yes. So it's like where she gave birth to the baby, but they're like, that must be like that. They're just like, they have this flashlight and like, there it is. And exactly. They just like exchanged like knowing looks and walk in with their guns. It's like, okay. <laughs> like how often do you see this? Just yeah. and, and I, I don't even know how to like parse it because it still feels really on brand for them in the show and all of that. But also like, I remember when I was rewatching and I still didn't see the blood until they cut it. Until Same. The, three cuts later, you know, and I was like, they just saw some scissors, and then they like sigh, and they're like, "Here we go again." <laughs> <laughs> Don't leave scissors out. People are going to just break in your house, thinking you're doing some ill things. Yeah, that was my first thought too, because I did not see the blood. I just saw a pair of scissors, and I'm like, "That's all it takes." About that, and I'm glad that you called out that you couldn't see the blood because I couldn't either, and I thought I was crazy. Is I'll bet everyone had that problem because of the whole thing that I was just saying was like, this has, this episode is ballsy with its, with its, it's lighting, very dark. It's dark, you know, and that's, that's a casualty of it, of course, even on a modern TV. So mm-hmm. I, I just realized one last thing that should be mentioned about this episode. It ends Please. on the opportunity for the story to keep going. Yes. And it hasn't yet. No. But if someone out there, we'll also, um, you know, there's a season 11 of the X-Files where like, sort of the theme of the show is the truth is still out there, but like no one cares. And cause it was yeah. years ago. That's so genius. I would have loved to have seen the continuation of this episode in the season 11 that very few people have seen. Yeah. Oh, season 10 was oh my really God. but 11 was like this thing you didn't hear about a whole lot. And there was some interesting stuff. Yeah. That's it. What, oh my God. What if they like the next, the next X-Files movie is a continuation of film. <laughs> That's the next yeah. one. That would be amazing. So- I mean, this has become like the most one of the most beloved episodes of it. Like everyone talks about this episode. It seems prime to make something more with it, I would think. Well, and like the new Ron Turn movie is coming out. Everyone loves Texas Chainsaw Massacre. People like to see these awful representations of rural communities. I unfortunately it would probably play really well. Or not. I don't know. I mean, in some ways, it's like a really gross version of Badlands. <laughs> On that note, do we want to give it a rating out of five? That sounds good. <laughs> okay. So Terry, how many carts for mom out of five 
you give <laughs> do you give home the episode of the Xbox? Oh God. Uh you know, I, I have to give <laughs> <laughs> poor mom that that I'm sorry. scene i'm sorry that, <laughs> that scene still like that is the one scene i remembered from this from this show just even gosh we're going on i think 25 years this october it will be 25 years since this episode came out and that is the scene <sighs> that sticks in my mind the entire time is when mom is wheeled out from under the bed which i from what i understand from wikipedia actually was pulled from a charlie chapman um autobiography of him yeah. like going to some house and and they oh, wheeled God. out some quadriplegic from under the bed and he did dances it's so like it's so surreal and and hyper real and so weird <laughs> i have to give it five <laughs> cards for moms out of five i think this episode is is fantastic i think it's aged really well particularly in terms of like the way it's shot and the way the music is is portrayed in it i i think it's a fantastic episode of of the the season and it's the first time that i realized that <laughs> the home plate is actually shaped like a house. Is that, is that true? Or do they just like, cause like they throw it down and it is in a house shape. And I'm like, I've never really realized it before. Cause home that plate is usually cool. is like not wood no. and it's like rounded. It's a little bit more rounded. I never thought about it looking like a home, but Cause that was the first thing that came to my mind is like, Oh, cause I, I'm not sports. I don't know anything about sports. And I was like, wow, that sports. looks like a freaking house. I'm like, is that why it's called home plate? <laughs> that was my thought last night watching this. It might be. You blew my fucking bean, man. (laughs) I I, I have just had ego death. You got me completely. (laughs) (laughs) I I was like, is that is I I was afraid of bringing this up. I was like, is that like everyone's gonna be like, yeah, Terry, that's why it's called home plate. Because I don't know anything about sports. I'm a I'm a fat gay man. What do I know about anything like that? But um, and anyway, so yeah, five five cards out of five cards from mom out of five. I love this this episode. I think it's it's fantastic. I watched it twice for this episode because I just really enjoyed it. Uh, what about you, Mary Beth? Well, okay, I'm gonna be fully honest, and I did not watch that rewatch the episode fully sober, so it, it scared me even more because I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Um, It'll be more terrifying than I could have ever remembered. So I'm giving it a five out of just how much how scarred it made me. The scenes that I saw were like that's have those have just lived in my mind like my entire life and I didn't know where they came from. And how it takes these tropes that you've seen a lot in kind of rural horror and makes them feel unique at the same time, which is I think difficult, but also really amazing to see. And also it's a TV show. Like this is a television show that did this and it's absolutely amazing. Um, so Justin and Aaron, you have the final word. What is your rating out of f- how many carts out of five? Moms for carts for, for mom. mom out of five. <laughs> I, Lots I, of very. I, I was going to give it a five out of five carts. And then I remembered uh, this thing that happened between Aaron and I and Glenn Morgan, one of the writers of the episode. And it was this. Aaron and I were on a plane going to go direct an episode of The Twilight Zone, who wrote. And we were talking about who would be like the perfect for casting of this one role in the episode. And, um, and we were like thinking of names of like really tatted up uh, musicians and rock stars and the plane landed. And we get this text from him basically saying, <laughs> basically, basically him saying uh, Glenn has cast um, Tim Armstrong from Rancid and Operation Ivy in your episode as that character. And just the simple fact that that happened, I have to give him 10 carts out of five. There you go. <laughs> he gets he gets ten thousand percent. By the way, it's already a brilliant episode, but he's so cool. He's so cool, and as and uh, and that he he must get more. Mm-hmm. 
I actually give him ten carts and um, two bloody pig's heads on the door. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. sweet. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Good. I'm glad that we all lo- lots of carts for mom. Kind <laughs> of this episode. Oh God. She'll never anyway. run out. <laughs> uh, well, thank you guys so much for, for joining us to talk about the X-Files episode home. Where can our listeners find you and what do you have coming up you'd like to share or that you're able to share? It's funny. So we've got like we've got a bunch of stuff coming up and we're yeah, you too. not supposed to talk about <laughs> yeah. Synchronic is coming out on yes. January 12th. Yes. Uh, on January 12th on VOD and two weeks later on blu-ray uh in the united states and um and and, and a lot of other places around the world are getting it very shortly i, I think the m- most major markets have a, a release date at this point which is great cool awesome. and do you have a twitter can anyone follow you on twitter yes it's it's our names that's probably the easiest way but at Aaron Moorhead, cool. yeah. and we'll have those in the show oh, notes yeah. too if yeah. anyone needs to look at them oh sorry what was that I was thinking we're going to we'll put that your um, handles in the show notes so people can look at them if they need to, if they need to grab them. Um, cool. So everyone, all listeners out there, you've heard from us. We want to hear from you. What was your experience with the X-Files episode home? You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. And I'm a Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you, everyone out there for listening. Stay safe out there, but most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.